Startups, you don't need to settle for a cumbersome banking experience to protect your money. Mercury offers banking and credit cards with effortless experience, giving ambitious companies greater precision, control, and focus without compromising security. Open smarter checking and savings accounts, control spend, optimize cash flow, and close the books in record time. Visit mercury.com to join more than 100,000 startups that trust Mercury with their finances and to help them perform at their highest level. Support for this show comes from Indeed. If you need to hire, you may need Indeed. Indeed is a matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Listeners of this show can get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and say you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, the editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as someone who has said Section 230 on this podcast more times than I can count. It's also the name of my new band. But in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today, we've convened a coast-to-coast panel of experts to talk about the most important policy in the history of U.S. regulation of the Internet, which there isn't very much of it. So it's pretty much the big the big dog in this. I'm, of course, referring to the 1996 Communications Decency Act and specifically Section 230, which says, and these, people can dispute what it says, that Internet companies are not publishers and therefore can't be held legally responsible for what their users say. That's the simple version. It's much more complex than that. It's a very short part of that act, which I actually covered when I was at the Washington Post. But today we have three people on today's show. First here with me in our New York studio is Carrie Goldberg, the owner of the law firm C.A. Goldberg and the author of a new book, Nobody's Victim, Fighting Psychos, Stalkers, Pervs, and Trolls. I think that takes care of it. Next in our D.C. studio, we have Jeff Kosoff, the assistant professor of cybersecurity law at the United States Naval Academy. I met him earlier this year at an event, and he has a lot to say, including a new book about CDA, uh, about Section 230, called The 26 Words That Created the Internet. And finally, joining us from San Francisco is Mike Masnick, the CEO and founder of TechDirt, a wonderful site that writes about technology and does all kinds of great analysis. In a way, we're doing this podcast Thanks to Mike, because in May he wrote a post for Tech Dirt called Dear Kara Swisher, Don't Let Your Hatred of Facebook Destroy Free Speech Online. First of all, Mike, I don't hate Facebook. But of course, after that, I had to have him on. Carrie, Mike, and Jeff, welcome to Rico Deco. Yay, Thanks. happy Yay. to be here. All right. I think we'll start with you, Jeff. Talk about what Section 230 is and explain a little bit of the history. You've written this book about these 26 words. It is only 26 words. And it's a part of an act that actually a lot of it didn't get implemented. Sure. So I, I wrote more than 100,000 words on these 26 words, but I will try to keep it shorter than that. So Section 230 is really uh, was a solution to a problem that had emerged through basically common law and First Amendment court rulings that dated back to bookstore owner prosecutions Mm -hmm. in the 1950s, uh, which basically said if you're the distributor of someone else's content, the First Amendment prohibits you from being held liable either civilly or criminally unless you either know or have reason to know of the illegal content or the defamatory content. And that worked well for bookstores. So it basically said bookstores don't have to review books before they sell them. But if Mm -hmm. they know that they have obscenity, then they have to not sell them. That didn't work so well when you got to CompuServe and Prodigy and all these other services that my students – These were early internet services. Yeah, yeah. Not everybody remembers them. Oh, I know. None of my students know what they are. Uh, But there were two cases involving Prodigy and CompuServe. And CompuServe and Prodigy had very different business models. So for CompuServe, they basically didn't do any moderation. They didn't have user policies. They let all sorts of third-party content onto their service. Prodigy wanted to be family-friendly. So what Prodigy did – was it had moderators, user policies, all that sort of stuff. Uh, They both get sued within the space of a few years in the early 90s for defamation that third parties put on their sites. CompuServe gets the case dismissed because it's held to be like a bookstore. It had no reason to know. Prodigy is held to be more like a newspaper publisher because it exercised editorial control. So that got the attention of Congress, which at the time was uh, really all up in arms about uh, pornography that was available yes. to children online. 
Fawn Hill was involved yes. in that, if you recall. Yeah, absolutely. So it, you had the Senate basically pushing through this legislation, which you've written extensively about, uh, a great book about, um, the Communications Decency Act, which imposed all of these penalties on transmission of indecent content. But the House, you had Ron Wyden and Chris Cox who were younger and they understood the internet a bit more. And they said, we want to do something different. We want to empower the services to do moderation. Uh, so we basically – their idea was there would be this market-based demand for moderation. So if a service wasn't moderating, then uh, the users would walk away and that's a better solution than having the FCC or DOJ regulate it. In this weird political situation that I spend a long chapter about, I won't go into here, both the CDA and the Cox-Wyden bill, which is Section 230, get into this Telecom Act of 1996. And the core, you, you already said basically what Section 230 does, it has two main provisions. The first says that if you are an interactive computer service, so a website, an app, a social media service, you're not going to be held to be the publisher or speaker of any third-party content, any content created by another information content provider. And then it has another provision saying that you're also not liable if you make good faith efforts to moderate objectionable content. So that gets in the bill. No one really pays much attention to it. People are furious about the Senate bill, which gets struck down by the Supreme Court. And then you're left with Section 230. And it took a little while for the courts to really sort out what that even meant. And what the courts held, they interpreted it very broadly and they found that with some exceptions, it provides fairly broad protection from claims against these sites for third-party content. And it was also used to make these companies become bigger because they, they, they want to be sued out of existence by any actions they made. I think that was – I remember at the time talking to Ron about the idea that we needed to let this new industry – the internet had just been sort of become commercial. Let it thrive. Let it thrive and let it not feel under the, the regulatory scrutiny or legal scrutiny. Yeah, absolutely. There were really these two goals. It was to foster this new industry and to also encourage uh, market-based moderation. Right. So, Carrie, let's talk about you from your perception, what, how, why it was important. Well, I mean, at, at this point, it's basically a government subsidy. Mm -hmm. You know, it originally made sense when it was created. It was kind of seen to be very restrictive. Mm -hmm. The Internet was a completely different place back then. And most of the tort issues related to defamation and obscenity right. and traditional publishing torts. Which I think the lawsuits about Prodigy and Compton are about defamation and the stock things, I think. Exactly. And so over the years, our information computer services have expanded to do all sorts of, of much more complex things. They geolocate. You know, we've got our social media companies. We've got Amazons that provide third parties. We've got our search engines. And the the expansion of CDA 230 has just kind of grown with the internet mm -hmm. to the point that basically most internet companies are immune from tort liability altogether. Mm -hmm. That means they can't be sued. <laughs> that, yes. Lawyer person, let me tell you. They can't be sued. Yeah. <laughs> they can't be sued. And that's crazy. I mean, tort law is centuries old, and the concept is that it's the great equalizer. For the cost of an index number, the poorest person, somebody without a pot to piss in, can sue somebody that did harm to them and bring them to the table. And Section 230 has created a massive immunity for companies that don't deserve it, that are the most omniscient, omnipotent, data-rich, wealthy companies in the history of the world, and they're do doing real harm. And they're also using Section 230 as a justification not to control their products and to intervene when somebody's being br brutally harmed, like, like some of my clients have been. Mm -hmm. All right. So, Mike, you have a different perspective on this. I'm going to, before you talk, Mike, I'm going to read okay. Section 230. No provider or user... No provider, it's very short, or user of an interactive computer service, is what they were called at the time, shall be treated as a publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, I, I think the, the concept behind 230 is, is pretty straightforward. It's just about properly applying uh, the liability to who it should go to. So, you know, the issue is do you sue the person who made the bomb threat or do you th sue the phone company? And 230 mm -hmm. is 
setting things up so that you know that you sue the person who's actually responsible for for violating the law. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I had this concept early on that that two thirty, you know, shouldn't have even been needed in the first place because it was common sense that you should actually go after the the party who's actually responsible for whatever the harm is uh, and and whatever the, the the damage is. But what we've seen over the years is that everyone likes to target the companies because they're big and they have a lot of money, and so you always sort of target the company with a lot of money to sue, even if they weren't the ones actually responsible for whatever the problem is that you're suing over. So, but, but you you make the argument there shouldn't be any. that It's been shipped away, uh, 230. I mean, 230 has been yeah. litigated so many times at this point, and there have been a, a number of different ways it's been shipped away. There have been a number of different court cases that have, you know, around the edges, um, you know, sort of chipped away at things. You know, most famously, there's the roommates case, uh, roommates.com. Explain that for people who don't know it. I'm the non-lawyer on the podcast, so the lawyers can correct me if I get mm-hmm. the specific uh, legal things wrong. But I, I believe they were sued for for violating like Fair Housing Act, yeah, federal and state yep. for uh, discrimination. And the issue was that you know if you were using Roommates.com to find roommates, you could designate race as as a basis for what kind of roommate mm-hmm. you were looking for, and that was something that you you can't discriminate over. It's a protected class, and the question was was roommates protected by 230 or not? And and the court. It's a fairly nuanced decision, I think, in which they said, you know, the content that is specifically created by the users is still roommates is protected from that. But what roommates is not protected from is the content that it itself as a company creates. And in this case, it had created a pull down menu uh, with race as a choice. And therefore, it was liable for that particular content, which I think makes sense. I was when that ruling first came out, I was a little bit nervous about it and what it would lead to in terms of other cases. But I think in the end, it was actually a, a pretty well thought out decision and showed that distinction. You know, if it's content that is created by the site, then then obviously they should be liable for it. If it's actions done by the site, then that's what they should be liable for. What they should not be liable for and what 230 protects is cases where it's third party content that is the issue. But there has been some some chipping away around sex, around the issue of sex. So explain that. There have been a number of attempts over the years to, to break 230 in, in different ways. And there have been attempts uh, in all different ways. And, and usually people sort of zero in on something that that is big and scary, you know, so things like opioid addiction or sex trafficking, the kinds of things that um, people will say, well, you know, no one will ever no one wants to be on the other side of that. Nobody obviously is in favor of mm-hmm. sex trafficking. Uh, and so there was this law that was passed. It went by various names, FOSTA and SESTA, uh, and eventually passed in sort of this hybrid version, pieces of both FOSTA and SESTA sort of squished together. Uh, and the idea was that sex trafficking or facilitating or I, I forget all of the different terms, but but basically anything that, that helps enhan- enhance sex trafficking in some form or another is exempted from Section 230, and therefore it, it was a, a, an exception created in, in the law. Since that happened, almost all of the language around passing that law, um, which generally now is referred to as FOSTA, everyone was talking about Backpage, which was, you know, sort of started out as sort of a Craigslist alike, but a lot of escorts and certainly some sex trafficking ads were on Backpage. And so Backpage had really been a target for a long time, and there was a lot of different efforts to take it down. Now, one thing that is important is that Section 230 has never created immunity for federal criminal law. And so, in fact, Backpage got taken down and the, the, the executives got arrested just days before FOSTA was signed uh, based on those old laws. Can you sort of give an idea of what's the state of play right now from uh, from where it is? Because I've interviewed several politicians. Nancy uh, Pelosi was talking, I mean, on both sides, mm-hmm. it's fascinating. It's both Republicans and Democrats for v- different reasons. Josh Hawley, a uh, senator, is, is on another side. But she called it a gift to the Internet uh, community. Uh, he he used a similar language, which is really interesting. But both of them are, are sort of trying to chip at it in different ways. And the idea, the threat is... And every time I mention it to an Internet person, they just they blanch white because this is the law that really they feel essentially that can't happen. Someone at YouTube was like that. That just cannot happen. It will ruin our business completely. So talk about the state of play right now. Uh, I think in one word, it would just be dizzy because that's Mm -hmm. how I feel, at least um, because the 
the two criticisms that you talked about uh, with Speaker Pelosi and Senator Hawley are very different. Um, they mm-hmm. they both don't like Section 230 and they, uh, for different reasons, criticize the tech companies for various things. But when you sort of drill down into what they're criticizing the tech companies for and what they would like to see, there's not much common ground there. So, I mean, I, I'm not sure what solution would satisfy all of the critics. So for Speaker Pelosi and there are a lot of critics believe that there's not enough moderation, that basically Section 230 is not living up to its initial purpose, which is to give them permission to do good so. good faith moderation. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so that, that they're saying, you know, if it's not working, we need to rethink this. But then there's a whole other set of criticism saying there's too much moderation, that they're censoring by, by having all of these policies in place. What they're effectively doing is blocking certain viewpoints in some in some cases, they argue intentionally. So I don't know what solution would satisfy all of those critics. Right. They're, and they're, they're pushing the idea of the fairness doctrine, like that they're yeah. like they're like a broadcaster. Yeah, like that's exactly. that side. Yeah. And there is such a thing as fairness in, in this age, essentially. Yeah. And I mean, I, almost every day, either in my email or on Twitter or something, I, someone will start yelling at me about how is Facebook a platform or a publisher. And I, I, that's not the distinction that Section 230 makes. In fact, it's they, they don't want – the intent of it is not to have that distinction, to allow Facebook and all the social media sites to take responsible efforts to take down harmful content. That's the point of Section 230 or one of the points at least. Right. Absolutely. So, Carrie, that's the, the concept is that they aren't – let's stick on the Nancy Pelosi side, which I think you're more on, is that they haven't done enough. They're, they're abrogating their – and I think this too. They're abrogating their responsibility. They'd rather not do anything. And they're not doing anything because they have these – first of all, these sort of loosey-goosey free speech principles, which they do. I don't think they're very thoughtful about it. And some of them are. Some of them aren't. Um, but the but they – talk about the Pelosi side, that they haven't done enough. Well, so when we're – I mean my issue is that we don't have a clear definition of what information content is. Mm-hmm. And – so I think a lot of conduct mm-hmm. and a lot of the issues and like handling of the products is the problem here. I'm not really worried about content moderation when it comes to my clients. They're all people who have been really viciously harmed. Mm-hmm. But but the problem is like if these companies aren't even liable for how their product works mm-hmm. and the defects in the design, then this goes way beyond just a moderation issue. Mm-hmm. So if I can tell you the story sure. of, of really one of my clients, Matthew Herrick, he was impersonated by his stalker ex-boyfriend on mm-hmm. Grinder, mm-hmm. And more than 1,200 men came in person to his job and to his, and to his home. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and they were led to believe that he had rape fantasies, that he had drugs to share. He would go into the stair, you know, leave his apartment. They'd be waiting for him in the stairwell. They would follow him into the bathroom at work. It was nonstop, Mm -hmm. as many as 23 people per day. Mm -hmm. And so he did what we all do um, when you're in that kind of crisis. He reported it to the cops 12 times. He got a restraining order against his ex and nothing helped. He flagged the accounts 50 times and had, I mean, he was begging Grindr to help him. And at that point, Grindr was the one exclusively in control mm-hmm. of this issue. They had the ability to stop it for him. And when they, when they didn't, we took them to court and demanded that they exclude this user. Mm-hmm. And in court, their lawyers said that they didn't have the technical ability to identify and exclude a user which to us was just this red flag. Okay, even, you know, on their terms of service, they say that they have the right to exclude anybody Mm -hmm. and that they will do that. And yet they just conceded that they didn't actually design into their product the ability. If you've created a dating app that is built on facilitating offline, in-person Contact, Physical contact, yeah. Yeah, with geolocating functions mm-hmm. that sends people to one another. It's an arithmetic certainty that sometimes it's going to be used by predators, by stalkers, by rapists. And and it's completely negligent for them not to have designed that into their product. Mm-hmm. So this was a product liability issue. 
And when we talk about Section 230 cases, we're actually talking about cases where somebody has sued a tech company and then they're supposed to affirmatively plead mm-hmm. that Section 230 uh, be, protects them. So you're talking under about Section 230. It's product liability, and you're unable to wage right. regular product And so liability. our case had nothing to do with content. Mm-hmm. We're like, you have a defective product. Mm-hmm. This isn't a, a publication tort. We're not suing for any words that, that Matthew's ex-boyfriend was using. We didn't even know what they were. We didn't. We right. couldn't right. even Got find it. all these profiles. We didn't know what d- the direct messages were saying that was directing users. And, and Grindr didn't even have to serve an answer. Right. We got thrown out of court right at the pleading stage. And so so this was an access to justice issue. And Matthew continued to get these visitors. And I think we can all agree that that's a serious harm. This isn't just somebody being called a bitch on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I mean, right, right. So, Mike, th- th- talk a little bit about this piece you wrote about <laughs> me, which you got completely wrong, but let's go ahead. That's okay. You, This is something that you and I go, sure. I'm talking, I am often talking about responsibility yeah. of products, that the products don't work as promised, they don't work as made, and there's no reparation that you can do because they've got this fig leaf that they've got constantly that they constantly refer to so talk and i do think that it's at risk to to be able to to be able to sue them indiscriminately i do think it's a risk to be able to have them not protected and not do their job of moderation but they don't do their job of moderation uh, or or protect them not just moderation but their products themselves so talk about your piece so you can get your moan in the sun and tagging poor kara swisher (laughs) Oh my goodness! All right, so, <laughs> so I, I, I think I think you might be accurate that that ten years ago these companies didn't really consider these things that carefully. And if you look at the history, and Kate Klonick has this great Harvard Law Review piece called "The New Governors" that I really recommend people read. It sort of goes through the history of content moderation on these different platforms. The idea that they they don't do a good job. I think everyone agrees that they don't do a good job. But I think what's lacking in that. And where I think you're wrong is in thinking that they don't care about it anymore. That may have been true early on. They may not have put much attention to it. I think we can all agree that they could do a better job of of it. But I think what most people don't understand are two things. One, the absolute scale of the issue with these companies, how much content and how many decisions they have to make each and every day. Um, And at that scale, no matter what systems you have in place, you're going to make mistakes, first of all. And also there are going to be people who disagree with your choices, whether or not they were good or bad. You are never going to please everyone, which is exactly what we see from like the difference between Speaker Pelosi and Senator Hawley in terms of what they're talking about. One wants more moderation, one wants less moderation. So any choice is going to lead to criticism and yelling about mistakes and, and bias and leaving up too much or taking down too much. And so... In order for these companies to be able to function and do anything, if they were constantly being sued for both of those decisions, for leaving too much stuff up or for taking too much stuff down, it would be impossible. And, and the, the choices that they then make are to either you know, sort of throw their hands up and do nothing uh, and say, well, we're going to go back to the, the standard that was in the, the bookstore cases that Jeff talked about at the beginning, where as long as we don't know about it, then, then we're not liable for it. And that's not a situation mm-hmm. that I think anyone out of the four of us wants, where they're taking a completely hands-off approach, or they just get very, very aggressive in trying to pull down anything that might possibly cause any problem whatsoever, and then you get the opposite problem, where you're taking down all sorts of things. And we've seen how badly that goes. We've seen how you know people who are the recipients of, of racist speech or hate speech of some kind or another who talk about it online and publicize it and reveal it get those tweets and, and Facebook posts taken down. We've seen cases where people who are documenting war crimes in the Middle East or elsewhere are having those taken down because people are saying it's it's uh, terrorist content, even though they're documenting war crimes. We see overblocking in all sorts of cases. And that's what you get when you when you risk adding liability to these platforms. So I think part of the problem is that some people say, well, it's really difficult uh, for companies to to moderate content scale. I don't think that's... Yeah, that's the too big not to fail kind of thing. I actually think it's different than that. I think it, it's not difficult, it's impossible. And and that what we're really talking about are societal issues and, and you know, problems that happen in any large enough society and somehow expecting that it is the tech companies who I think 
most of us agree are probably not that good at this, that they should be the ones solving societal problems creates a whole bunch of other issues. It's a really fascinating thing. I do think they take all the money, Mike, and so they it's their job. But let's talk about whether it's their job or not when we get back. We're here with a trio of fantastic people debating the Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which protects internet companies, it has protected for years, and is under siege. We're here with Jeff Kossoff, Assistant Professor of Cybersecurity Law at the United States Naval Academy. We're here with Mike Masnick, the CEO and founder of TechDirk, and also Carrie Goldberg, who has a law firm that talks about these issues. When we get back, we'll talk more. Startups, you don't need to settle for a cumbersome banking experience to protect your money. Mercury offers banking and credit cards with effortless experience, giving ambitious companies greater precision, control, and focus without compromising security. Open smarter checking and savings accounts, control spend, optimize cash flow, and close the books in record time. Visit mercury.com to join more than 100,000 startups that trust Mercury with their finances and to help them perform at their highest level. Support for this show comes from Indeed. Imagine the perfect employee. Let's call her Jackie. Jackie is professional yet relaxed, punctual, friendly, meets deadlines, and just makes your job easier overall. But the search for Jackie can be long and tedious, especially when you have so many other things on your plate. Indeed wants to help you find your next Jackie. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. They leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. So their matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. That means they can better connect you with your Jackie. And listeners of this show can get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and say you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're back with Carrie Goldberg, the owner of the law firm C.A. Goldberg and the author of a new book, Nobody's Victim, Fighting Psychos, Stalkers, Pervs, and Trolls. Also here is Jeff Kossoff. He's in D.C. He's the assistant professor of cybersecurity law at the United States Naval Academy. His new book about CDA's Section 230 is called The 26 Words That Created the Internet. And also here is Mike Masnick in San Francisco, founder of TechDirt. Um, and he's here because he has a lot of pins on it, including telling me that I hate Facebook and want to destroy speech online. Okay, we're going to start first with Jeff. Talk about that idea that Mike had in the last part, which is that they will either start to overdo things or take the hands off the wheel. I think they have done very little um, and, in, and and seem to like it that way. Um, and one of the points I was making in one of, the, one of the many columns that I've written about this topic is that people misconstrue that Twitter is the public square. I'm using Twitter as an example. You could use almost any of them. That these companies are the public square when, in fact, they are the privately owned squares that have become the public squares, but they still aren't the public squares, so they don't have the responsibility that public entities do. And that the First Amendment, it doesn't say Twitter shall make no law around freedom of speech. It says the Congress shall make no law. So talk a little bit about each of the companies and where we find ourselves with them, because they have different ways of dealing with this. So, yeah, I'm glad that you're asking about the different companies, because they mm -hmm. do act very differently. And mm -hmm. um, there are some companies that have had some really thoughtful moderation practices. I look at Pinterest, for example. They uh, mm -hmm. they had a problem where some users were posting some uh, pro-eating disorder posts on Pinterest. So they actually worked with the National Eating Disorders Association to help figure out what are the keywords that would flag content to be able to post warnings and do other things to help reduce the harm. That is exactly what we need to be seeing more of the platforms doing. Uh, we're not seeing it enough. Uh, we, ha I think we have a few different categories. We have the big, massive YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, which is what – when there's a lot of Section 230 debates, that's when people say yes. the platforms, they refer to them. But there are other platforms. Uh, there is the – there are platforms like Grindr and Carrie's case, which clearly falls on the opposite side of the spectrum as Pinterest in terms of responsibility. And you, so you have a pretty wide range. And what the point that I make to the platforms whenever I talk with any tech executives about 230, I say, you know, Section 230 is not a constitutional right. There's some overlap. But if you don't justify why we have this, 
we're not going to have it anymore. Mm-hmm. And they react in different ways. I mean, they're, I think the big problem is they're not transparent. I'm at the Naval Academy, and I, so only part of my work deals with Section 230. I also do a lot of cybersecurity and national security work. And it is easier to get information from the NSA than it is from some of these big tech companies. <laughs> and it should not be that way. They're, they're changing. But until recently, they really – they oh, we're not going to talk about, about this. And they're starting to. There have been conferences, but they need to do a much better job or I, I, I don't see how Section 230 survives this. Yeah, one of the things I just did an interview with Steve Huffman from Reddit, which has been sort of plagued by problems. You know, they had a lot of stuff around racial slurs, and he they just recently put them on timeout. The the Donald, which has been a controversial section of Reddit, but it's people that like Donald Trump and want to talk about it, and he they put them on close to a permanent ban, and I think that's exactly where it's going because the moderators, in their case, they're, they're dealing with the massive amount that Mike was talking about was to make the moderators run things, and then they monitor the monitors essentially. And I think that probably works for a smaller company. But they've been very – he's been very upfront about the idea that they could ban the Donald if if the behavior – he said if the behavior at the physical rallies manifests online, we'll be banning them, which means they'll be banning them, I think. And so they put him on quarantine. I think that's the word they use. But he was being – they're being much more transparent. And there's a a site that really had a lot of problems, I think, and and got a lot in the news. So when you're talking about this, Carrie – you know, there are differences or there are people sort of popping up that it's not going to satisfy everyone, but they do act as if they have responsibility for this. Sure. And I actually want to pick up on something that Mike said, which is that these platforms shouldn't be in charge of solving societal problems, is what what I think he said. I feel that if they've created the problem, then yes, they they do need to be in charge of of the solution. And I think one thing that we just have to keep grasping is just how exceptional it is to have an industry that's basically beyond the reach of our courts. And we, you know, there's a lot of comparisons. Or regulators. Right. Well, I mean, they're not beyond the reach of our regulators. They're not beyond the reach of it, but they they have no regulation to speak of. Right. Well, I mean, CDA 230 actually is a regulation yes, is. that protects the only them. one. Yeah. <laughs> I always wish like the libertarians would, would recognize that, mm-hmm. hey, this is actually a regulation. I thought mm-hmm. you don't like those. Mm-hmm. But um, but it's so it's so extreme that basically our, our courts can't can't even bring them to the table as defendants. These cases mm-hmm. just get removed at the motion to dismiss stage really early on. And there's no other industry that gets that kind of treatment. Mm-hmm. Do you see better companies? Do you like what uh, what Jeff was just talking about? That different companies are different in how they handle it. Well, so I I'm dealing with individuals who mm-hmm. you know they're the victims of revenge porn mm-hmm. or stalking, and mm-hmm. it's always facilitated through something. And yeah, I mean I have certain relationships with different people, and you might be surprised to learn that Pornhub is one of the most responsive players in, in the that, cases please. that, I mean, so a lot of my clients- Pornhub it, is a place for porn. It's a, it's a place for porn and- Kind of speaks for itself. It's uploaded, you know, by third-party content providers. And a lot of my clients are just like, I want to get that off the internet. They're not all, I want to, you know, sue the F out of this tech company. In fact, it's very, very rare that- because you have to actually show that you have to show a harm and show that it was caused mm-hmm. by the platform as sure. opposed to the individual. Right. So I I don't feel that that ordinary sort of defamation and, and content that would be moderated. I don't feel like like those are going to ever lead to cases. I mean, you have to have a real harm. Right, I right. mean, that's what our system's for. Getting back to Pornhub. <laughs> They will remove content. They will. Uh, they don't require that you know somebody you know show a sign saying that they are the victim of revenge porn. If if materials up there, they're very victim friendly. They recognize that they're not really in the business of non consensual porn. Mm-hmm. And so that's that to me is is a great actor in terms of moderating the content. They'll take the victim's word for it and respond quickly. You know, on the other side of that is. You know, platforms like like 8chan, like 4chan, like mm-hmm. where there's there's really nowhere to even respond to requests mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. So, Mike, talk about that because there are people that act. What is wrong with having a business? Like you have that. You run TechDirt. I run Recode. When I get responses, mm-hmm. we act. We immediately act, actually. Um, and because because as a, as a publisher, which we are, 
I'm concerned about being sued. I'm concerned about the if I did something not being wrong. That's different. But actually, you know, libel is a very complicated thing in this country. It's different in in Britain and everywhere and different places. But I'm concerned, and I we do act and we do right. make choices. That is, I think, was what I was talking about. Is they refuse to make choices, and you're worried about the fact that they can make choices at all. But we do that yeah, every day. Yeah, but, but part of the reason why we do that is because we have Section 230, right? I mean, part of the reason why we can moderate comments on on Tektra in the first place is because we have Section 230. Without it, we'd be risking a lot more liability. And the examples that that have been given, you know, Jeff talked about Pinterest and what they've done. You talked about Reddit and what they've done. Carrie talked about Pornhub, what they've done. All of them are doing different things. The reason they can do different things and the reason they can take different approaches is because they have 230 and they have that ability to experiment and to take different approaches. And what happens is that business and societal pressure have pressured most of these companies to do as much as they can in the right direction. And things like you reporting, you know, wherever you report and hitting hard on on large internet companies has also despite what you said have, has pushed them in the right direction perhaps not far enough I think actually I agree not far enough but but pushing them farther and farther in that right direction that's enabled in part by 230 being there allowing them to to experiment and figure out what's best there are I think we all agree there are some bad players out there but what we're seeing again is that societal pressure is making that harder and harder for that to exist uh, you know we haven't talked about cloudflare and what it did recently with eight mm-hmm. with, with hn but that yeah. was a decision that they made so hn is finding it harder and harder to exist because on a basically society wide basis a lot of people have determined that that maybe that's the kind of site that shouldn't exist but again these are things that are only enabled because 230 is there to allow the companies to make those decisions and to experiment and to take different approaches and so much of the 230 discussion is so focused on these larger companies yet 230 protects me i'm a small publisher i got sued not too long ago for defamation and the worst content the sort of you know scariest content i guess that we got sued over was in comments and we got that dismissed because of section 230 if that were changed in some way you know that would put me at much greater risk and and you know i don't know if i would operate the business in the same way at all i don't know that i would have comments if 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 i didn't have those protections it's interesting i got rid of comments yes. as you know largely because they were they weren't adding i didn't do them because i was worried about them being sued i do it because they were not yeah, added but in, to the but in my case but it was it was a decision i made i was like this is just crapping up the platform. And I understand that a lot of platforms have decided to do that. But in our case, I mean, our comments are part of what makes TechDirt TechDirt. Our sure. you know, we very 100. we very much focus on sort of building a community around the site, and we can only do that because of 230. But I do want to press you as the idea. I think you missed me. I do not want to get rid of 230. I want them to understand what a privilege it is. That we think it's a privilege and that they really do abrogate their responsibility almost continually by and at the same time collecting all the money. Like they don't like they get all the money and don't do any of the work. And I think I, I want to get into some of the other things. But go ahead, sir. Again, like I think that's untrue. Facebook has hired something in the range of twenty thousand people to work on moderation. YouTube has hired somewhere in the range after of ten thousand people. After yes, being exactly. pressed. After being pressed. And and I'm I never thought of it in the first place. Well, I wouldn't say never. I mean, if you talk to them and you go over the history of what happened, I agree. They were slow, they were bad, they're still bad at it. but they're getting better and part of it is because of the public pressure and part of it is because they're able to experiment and they're able to take different approaches and try different things and again you know it's important that 230 you know helps all of these different sites everyone focuses on on the facebooks and the twitters of the world but there's also wikipedia there's github there's you know smaller sites like mine there's all different kinds of sites and we would have a very very different internet if if there's liability for those things you know you have a situation where you have the larger companies who might be able to deal with the 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 legal fight i can't hire 10,000 people to moderate my comments you know right now we're not big enough that we would need that but like the idea that this is some sort of special gift to companies who are completely ignoring any responsibility i just don't think that's true I think the big ones have mucked it up for all of us. That's my I think they don't they haven't been taking the responsibility. But historically there's an argument that they did a really bad job and they didn't take it nearly seriously enough. I completely agree with that. But I don't think that's true anymore and I don't think that changing the law changes anything on that front. 
we do agree on that part, but I will not let them off for being thoughtless, lazy, and careless. And they just, they literally don't care while they're, co- they're the richest people on earth. But let's, let's go, Jeff, let's talk about the idea of, let's get into the concept of, of, of things that happen on their platforms that are truly dangerous, like the shooter in New Zealand, or, and not getting, putting, not putting enough things in place. I had a big back and forth with Facebook over Facebook Live very early when I kept saying, this is harm. I can see harm. I can see harm. And they kept calling me a bummer. Um, You know, it's a really interesting, like, to get them around this thinking so that they deserve this thing that they got. This, it's not, it's not a privilege, but it is a privilege. They deserve the, what they've been given. How do you think that's going to play out when you have, like, the recent shooter somewhere else had a, was broadcasting it, and they didn't remove it enough. They didn't remove it enough. And I get the bigness of it and how difficult it is, but I do believe the architecture of their systems make it almost impossible to fix what they need to fix. So, Jeff, talk about that a little, and then each of you talk about that, of how they can – what happens when you have a situation like what happened in New Zealand where, where the killings were broadcast? I would say that and also the Nancy Pelosi video. Mm-hmm. Um, of making her look like she was drunk, yeah. I don't think the shooting is a tough decision. I, I, I think there should be every effort to take that sort of video down. People would disagree with me on that and say there's uh, there might be newsworthy reasons. I don't think so. I think for the Nancy Pelosi video, there was some argument, you know, it's become part of the public satire. discourse, satire. I would disagree with that just because in the in the impact that it's had. The problem is that there wasn't enough explanation as to what the decision-making process was and there might not necessarily be the consistency there that's necessary to really inform why are they making these sorts of decisions. So that's really where I get back to the transparency that's necessary. Um, And one really important point is almost every moderation decision that you make is going to piss off a lot of people uh, if you decide to moderate or not to moderate. And I mean there are some maybe – some cases where people would all agree but at least in what I've been writing about, I get some people who say, oh, no, they should take it down or leave it up. I, I'm really struggling with how you reconcile with satisfying all of these different yeah. sides. And I think we need a better consensus first. Uh, Carrie, how do you get to that consensus from your perspective? I mean, I'm really far the extreme. You want to get rid of it. <laughs> I mean, completely. like, I'm, I'm not. What would you do with it? Just get rid of it and just. I would get rid of it. I mean, tort law you know, serves a purpose. You know, I think with the publication of mass killings, mm-hmm. I don't know even how that would fall into a tort law. It's really unfortunate that a shooting could stay online. But again, I don't see how, how the platform would be liable for not removing it because you still have to show that the platform caused the harm and you have to show the damage to the victims. Mm-hmm. And it would be quite traumatizing to watch the video. But that's not going to rise to the level of something that that is suable mm-hmm. over because the standard's really, really high. And I mean, I, I own a business and I have insurance. I mean, I think all we're talking about is a new insurance market that huh. these platforms are going to have to buy. I mean, we all have liability insurance and I don't act like an asshole to my clients because, you know, I need clients to stay in business. I love my clients. I have pride in being a good lawyer to my clients, but I still have liability insurance in case something accidentally happens. And, you know, these companies shouldn't be treated any differently. And we're not talking about, you know, the content moderation when we're talking about which situations could create, a, you know, a, a, a lawsuit because you still have to meet the, the, the thresholds. Okay, so Mike, how would you do that? And then we'll, and we're going to get to the next section. Where we're talking about where, where it's going. How would you protect that against that? Mike, what's wrong with just having more liability insurance? You obviously don't want to get rid yeah. of it at all. But what about that idea? Um, you know, I, I think th- there are a few things. I mean, I think to to some extent, perhaps surprisingly, in in some ways, I agree with Carrie. I talked earlier about the roommates case, and in the roommates case, they made the mm-hmm. the distinction of what is the platform actually responsible for versus what is the third party responsible for. And if it's a, a case where you can show definitively that it was the platform that caused the problem and not the user, then there is liability. It, it's it's you know pretty clear that there will be liability for the platform, and they're not immune to to any of those situations. It's only when the problem is. Uh, a third-party content. Now, the you know what 230 does is it 
it, it sort of has procedural benefits in terms of being able to get rid of a bunch of frivolous cases much faster. And again, the, the part of the issue is that everyone targets companies because they think the companies have, have the biggest wallets. And, and maybe they do. But, you know, if you're targeting the wrong party, that's an issue. So, again, I think 230 is super important. I think that changing it would have massive consequences for the way the internet works and in particular for the way that smaller platforms operate and the amount of speech that they allow and the amount of conversation that they allow, which I think would be a big loss. I think we would move more towards kind of a, a, a broadcast medium rather than a conversational communications mm -hmm. medium, which is what I think made the internet so valuable and important. And moving away from that really takes away a lot of the value. And so I, I worry about that. I think that you know, as Carrie said, in cases where you can show that it was the platform themselves that caused the problem, that was the responsible party, that they, they should face liability for that. And, and, you know, for that case, if they have insurance, then great. Okay. All right. When we get back, we're going to talk about what's going to happen because there's all kinds of activity going on right now. We have three people on today's show. Carrie Goldberg, she's the owner of the law firm C.A. Goldberg and the author of a new book called Nobody's Victim, Fight Psychos, Stalkers, Pervs, and Trolls. We also have Jeff Kossoff in D.C. He's the assistant professor of cybersecurity law at the United States Naval Academy. His book is um, on Section 230 is called The 26 Words That Created the Internet. And finally, Mike Mazik. He's the CEO and founder of Tech Dirt. And he wrote a piece talking about the, the idea of destroying free speech online by accident by attacking this particular section of law. When we get back, we're talking about what's going to happen next. Support for this show comes from Fiverr, the world's largest marketplace for freelance services. In the fast-paced world of business, every decision counts. And when it comes to hiring, there's no room for guesswork. That's why Fiverr has developed solutions for businesses to make outsourcing projects simple, quick, and compliant. You can gain access to curated talent through Fiverr Pro's catalog of top freelancers, organized by skill and experience. Streamline your projects with a user-friendly dashboard, where you can track progress and collaborate with your team. And for anyone needing the highest level of white glove service, Fiverr Pro's project partners can manage multiple freelancer engagements for you. Project partners will outline requirements, assemble a roster of freelancers, and manage a schedule to ensure your deliverables are completed on time. Ready to scale smarter? Visit pro.fiverr.com to sign up and use code VOX for 15% off any service. That's pro.fiverr.com -E and use code VOX. Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. Do you want a career that meets you where you are and takes you where you want to go? Whatever your individual ambitions, motivations, and skills may be, discover your potential at Deloitte, right along with purpose-driven teams and a difference-making culture. Be seen for who you are and celebrated for what you bring. Discover your impact at Deloitte. Learn more at Deloitte.com slash US slash Discover Careers. We're here with three experts on Section 230 of the Communications DCC Act from 1996. We're talking to Jeff Kossoff. He has written a book called The 26 Words That Created the Internet. Mike Masnick, who founded Tech Dirt, uh, who has a different point of view, and Kerry Goldberg, who is a lawyer who's worked on a lot of cases around people trying to get justice around uh, abuses that happen to them online. So wh where are we right now, Jeff? We have a Hawley has a bill, which is more focused on them not being biased towards conservatives, which essentially is the conservative side. You know, and President Trump pushes it quite heavily without any proof. He most recently said Google added millions of votes to Hillary Clinton without any proof, without any proof, should just should be silent for everything he does. So where are we right now? What's the state of play of how much risk this this is under or what kind of other regulatory scheme might be in place? I'm a law professor and I'm not a political scientist or someone who knows who's politically savvy at all, which I'm very happy about. So I, I can't predict the uh, chances of any of this legislation going through. Yeah, yeah because as I talked about earlier, the criticisms are so different because you've got some people saying there should be little to no moderation at all, which is very different from the really legitimate 
concerns that other people have had saying there needs to be a whole lot more. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the the Holly bill would basically say, you know, there has to, for larger platforms to continue to be receive Section 230 protection, there has to be a finding by the Federal Trade Commission, by a supermajority of the Federal Trade Commission that there's um, – and, and I don't have the bill in front of me, the exact language, but there's – it's a politically neutral moderation mm-hmm. process. Yeah, that's great. That's a politically charged organization. But go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And so, so I mean, I, I think that sort of proposal, I don't know how you reconcile that with the argument that there needs to be more moderation. I think the argument for the Holly bill is – and I'm just speaking on my own behalf. I think the argument for his bill would be that, you know, we don't want – the platforms to come in and say, we want to censor this particular point of view. So mm-hmm. that's how we're going to moderate. But I think that would probably cause there, – there's a risk of that causing some of the platforms to just take a more hands-off approach because they don't they don't want to risk being dubbed politically biased and right. then and, and then losing 230 protection. And I mean that was kind of the point of the part of Section 230 that says you can moderate otherwise objectionable content and if you take good faith mm-hmm. efforts. OK. So there's that. Anything – what about on the Democratic side? On the Democratic side, there's not any current bill legislation that's out there. Right. So It's just do a better job. Yeah, better. to do a better job. I mean uh, there, there might be the sort of – there are the calls obviously to repeal Section 230 altogether, mm-hmm. but I'm not aware of any legislation that's been proposed during this term at least. And what about from a state perspective? There isn't anything. There isn't anything. I mean, there's stuff going on globally. Um, just in Dar- Darren, uh, they talk, a lot of the they, they had a sort of a more cooperative thing with uh, Macron and others. They were trying to come to terms of how internet companies should behave, but it's more self-regulation still, from what I can understand. Yeah, I mean, the, nothing in, yet. in Europe, for example, there are, there's a more sort of government involvement with online content sure. in general, and that has a lot of that has to do more with the First Amendment than with Section 230. Uh, in, in that there are certain things in Europe where hate speech can be prohibited, for example. Uh, the New York Times recently had an almost entire front page of their business section saying that Section 230 shields hate speech, shields platform from uh, liability for hate speech, and they had to run a correction saying that it was the First Amendment and not Section 230. Um, and I think yeah. that really points to the fact that there are a number of problems online, really legitimate issues that go beyond Section 230 and go to the really fundamentally U.S. view uh, under the First Amendment that really is weighed much more heavily toward free speech than in other countries. Yeah, I just recently interviewed Pete Buttigieg, uh, and he was talking about the idea of people taking things down. And I kept saying, mm-hmm. we have a First Amendment. And he's like, but I think we should, you know, be able to take things down. I'm like, but we can't. Like, it was a really, I just, I think, it, I actually came to the conclusion he didn't know what he was referring to. I was trying to be polite. I was like, do you know what you're saying precisely because you're talking about a European law versus a U.S. Uh, thing? Anyway, um, Carrie, what do you, where do you think the state of play is? Where do you, where's the pressure points? So as, as a litigator, I want our courts to be deciding this. Right. I think that having our legislators be in control of this and, and pushing something through their, their sausage factory is the worst case scenario. Right now, we our Herrick v. Grinder case mm-hmm. is petitioned for cert with the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. They could decide to hear that case and make a ruling about what information content really is mm-hmm. and why it should be applied to uh, products liability and why you know this this entire industry should be outside the scope of the of the courts and whether this is an affirmative defense or if if companies don't even have to bother pleading it. Mm-hmm. I still have hope that that this could be judicially uh, decided. Handled. Yeah. Right. At the Supreme yeah. Court level. Right. I mean, I know that they only choose like 80 out of every 8,000 mm-hmm. a year petitions, but this is an important issue. They've never ruled on it. Mm-hmm. It's There's probably causing, a reason they've never ruled right, on it. It's causing so much chaos. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this case is booted up for them. So, so this, the court should be deciding this on some level. That's my first choice. That's your first choice. Second choice? Second choice is that our legislators just throw it in the trash or that we have a much more narrow scope of what information content is. Okay. All right. Mike, what do you think? Where are we? 
Um, well, I think the courts have been. I mean, we have you know two decades worth of, of jurisprudence on Section 230, and they have chipped away at it, frankly. I mean, right. the roommate's case was first, but there are other ones, you know, internet brands. There's uh, the cases against Airbnb recently that have chipped away at basically saying transactions are not covered by 230. There are a number right. of other cases as well. Um, Explain that for people. Explain the t- transactions one. So, so uh, Airbnb was, you know, a bunch of different cities have put in place regulations around Airbnb and, you know, the similar companies about short-term rentals. And some of them have required Airbnb to police the, the rentals. And Airbnb made an argument that that violated 230 because they would be policing the speech uh, of of third party yeah. of the third parties on the platforms, and the California courts uh, ruled on the side of in this case it was Santa Monica it was the city and said that it's not really speech because it's transactions. Um, I, mm-hmm. I have problems with that decision. I think it's a whole other area and, a, and probably a whole other podcast between like you know speech and expression and, and kind of where that line is. But you know I think to that point the courts are weighing in and they're sort of chipping away at it and they're they're trying to make issues of it. Where I get worried is on the legislative side. And while there aren't much in the way of like Democratic proposals, uh, Beto O'Rourke just put out his way of dealing with gun violence, which included dismantling Section 230. Um, and, and it strikes me that that attacking Section 230 has sort of become this catch-all for like, we don't like something about big tech and therefore we're going to um, right. pull away Section 230. It's just sort of like a stick, just sort of a, a punishment. And in this case, like a punishment about gun violence. I'm not even sure how those two things are, are directly related. And I think there are First Amendment and Second Amendment issues potentially combined in one, which would be lots of fun for the Supreme Court. Uh, should, it, should it ever actually go anywhere? Um, you know, I think the more realistic thing that's going to happen is uh, are two things. One, uh, that the courts will continue to, to look at these things. And in really egregious cases, they will find reasons, good or bad, um, to sort of chip away around the edges at 230. And we'll, we'll sort of reach a sort of consensus on it. On the other side, on the legislative side, I do think that there will continue to be attempts. I mean, I think FOSTA was to some extent a trial balloon. And I think we'll see similar attempts around other things. You know, terrorist-related content is one. Um, opioid mm-hmm. uh, content, pharmaceuticals yeah, is is another. There will be attempts to sort of replicate the FOSTA model. Uh, whether or not FOSTA worked, I think FOSTA, there's a lot of evidence that it hasn't worked. I think internationally, right. uh, that is actually going to drive a lot of this, frankly. I mean, Europe has a, a terrorist content uh, regulation that they've been working on. Uh, the UK separately, assuming they ever do Brexit, has their online harms. Uh, Australia very rapidly passed some some laws yeah, um, that sure. require Australia. platforms. Yeah. So, you know, as as a company that wants to operate on the internet globally, um, it may get to the point where these other countries are really driving the conversation and are, are forcing things because you don't necessarily want to have a setup where you have to operate your platform differently in every country. And therefore, the most restrictive country may win in terms of how the internet yeah, operates. Very similar in privacy world. bills, too. Yes, in this very, country. Very I think California will, will be driving that. Um, so to end, I, I, think, I think you're absolutely right. I think it becomes an international issue. I think typically the U.S. government doesn't really act to anything and doesn't act or very, acts very slowly. And in this case, the, uh, the, the gulf that Jeff was talking about is so vast between the sides and what they think should be done and how they interpret Section 230 is really quite, you know, it's an astonishing discussion to have with Republicans and Democrats because they're talking about two different things. Many of us are simply talking about taking more responsibility given how big and important these companies are to, and, and how much chaos they've created. And you're right, it is a reaction to gun violence or chaos, but they go hand in hand in a lot of ways. So let me finish up by asking each of you really briefly, what do you, what would you do? If you could wave a wand, Jeff, what would you do? You can say leave it if you want, but that's not particularly creative. As the only one of us who's in D.C. right now, I will give the most D.C. answer imaginable and say create a commission. And because I know nobody – and the reason that I'm saying that is – That's a Mark Zuckerberg idea. Well, well, the reason for that is I think that we don't have enough facts about what's happening, what the moderation practices are. A lot of this is talking hypotheticals or anecdotal and I think we need – this is incredibly important, the future of not just Section 230 but how we deal with platforms and online speech. And we really need much better analysis and much better facts driving this debate. And we don't have that right now. And if there's a way other than a commission, that's great. But I think we need something that actually 
really drives this analysis better than and it who's is who's on the commission? Who's on said commission? Well, so, I mean, there's a good example. Uh, we have a lot of very big cybersecurity, national security challenges. Yeah, and uh, last year in the Defense Authorization Bill, there was the creation of the Cyber Solarium Commission, which has some amazing former national security officials who are appointed by both the m majority and minority in Congress and from, I think, the White House also appoints them. But you get a really good substantive panel of people who are as nonpartisan as you could get for a congressional commission uh, that can gather facts and make recommendations. I think that's what we really need right now. Okay. That's actually that's not so bad. All right. A commission. The, do you have a name for the commission? The <laughs> uh, Platform Moderation Commission. Uh, that's, oh, my uh, God. Yeah. yeah we'll, we'll work on it. We'll work on it. All right. Okay. All right. Carrie, quickly, <laughs> your your scenario? Um, I think we need to stop seeing this as an issue of content moderation or speech and see Section 230 as a restriction on access to justice. And it's a restriction on us as individuals being unable to hold accountable companies that harm us. So you would get rid of it? I would get rid of it. Would you, what would you put in its place? You can't Not, just, nothing? Nothing. Tort law does the job because an individual who sues has to show that the the defendant caused the harm and that there are damages. It, so instead it of let's itself. kill all the lawyers, let's hire all the lawyers, <laughs> right? Is that yes? <laughs> well, no. I mean, I think you know, this isn't an issue of everyone's going to flood the courts because we lawyers don't want to take like cases that are where we can't prove our case. It's really expensive. I've spent you know over three quarters of a million dollars of attorney time. On, on Herrick v. Grinder, these are these are expensive cases that, you know, and, and big law doesn't want these cases because their their clients are big tech. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's it's people like me, All right, small so fries. Get rid of it and let let the legal system deal with it. The current yeah. laws in place. All right, Mike, you get the last word. Well, I do, but uh, yeah, I know you you will always get the last word. <laughs> but, Absolutely, because um, I'm correct. <laughs> of course, anyway, of course. Um, well, I, I think the number of cases that we see that still deal with 230 suggests that that plenty of lawyers will take them. I mean, right now we're dealing with uh, a bunch of Russian trolls who are suing Facebook uh, using a big law firm, uh, and they got that case tossed on 230, and they just filed an amended complaint, and they're still trying, and, and it's complete nonsense. But you know, in, in certain cases, those cases would be filed. But if I had a magic wand, honestly, I I, yeah, I, magic one. I, if I could wave it and just get people to actually uh, understand how to properly apply liability and also to, to actually understand how much is actually being done and how difficult the choices are in terms of content moderation. If I could make everyone work on a trust and safety team for a week uh, and begin mm -hmm. to get a sense of how much effort is actually put into these things and how impossible it is to to get it right on a consistent basis. We, we did at one of these content moderation conferences, we ran a, a sort of game where we had everyone in the audience try and deal with uh, eight different content moderation cases and they got to vote on their phones. And this was a conference of content moderation experts and we could mm -hmm. not get agreement from yeah. them on how to deal with with any of the eight uh, case studies that we brought up. These are really difficult things and people think that it's easy that's black and white and that the choices that, that everyone should make are really obvious. But what's obvious to you is not obvious to the person sitting next to you often. Uh, and the more that we could get people to recognize that, uh, I, I wish that there was more understanding on that fact. Yeah, absolutely. No question. I've talked to lots of YouTube people. They've presented me with so many. It's like an ethics course every day, like an ethics. You know what I mean? Yes. One of these thorny well, ethics it's an eth But the, the thing is, it's an ethics case every five minutes. And every five minutes, you have another one and another one and another one and another one. And they never well, stop. Five seconds. And and that's part of the issue. It's right. not like you can sit there and host a whole trial and go through every one of these cases and figure it out. And that's part of the difficulty. Well, then I guess we'll just have to shut them all down. That's really what's <laughs> going to happen. <laughs> I do think, I, I do think you're right. They have a listen. I'm going to finish up on this. I think we need to. They absolutely still haven't gotten it. I think they really feel like you're getting a lot of victimy statements from them, and they're feeling very badly. And again, I know you don't want to stress the money, but they got all the money, and they are the richest people on earth now, on earth, like unprecedented ever. And they still don't have responsibility. I think it is a question of what are you stepping up and being more transparent. I think Jeff is 100 percent correct. They are 
completely opaque because most cases they're incompetent. That's really what you find when you start to peel back the layers is they haven't maybe been thoughtless and careless. And so I think one of the things is that they're going to have to pay for that. And unfortunately, it's gotten to this where something that was was born as something that was really great, was a really great idea and actually a very good piece of legislation is getting whacked around like this in a way that you almost say they deserve to have it taken away from them. You know, you, that's where you get to. Um, and I do think we're in a crisis about the impact of tech and what it has on it. Um, and it is about other things, but it's been amplified and weaponized by these tech platforms. And so we'll see where it goes and we'll see what happens. I am, you know, luckily Washington never gets anything done. So I'm going to vote that I think Jeff's commission is the correct thing that's happening. Um, uh, sorry, you, you can be we, the, have to see. we have to see. We have to see. You, you can be the chair good. of the commission. Uh, oh my God. No, you know, I, I, I've applied for the ombudsman job at Facebook and I'm going to wait and see if Mark will give me that like unfettered <laughs> access to him to smack him every day. Um, but we'll see. I, we, there should be, there should be a fact finding. I know it sounds crazy, but I don't think we know enough. And I do think it's a lot because these companies have kept us in the dark about the difficulty because it is so difficult and they don't want to admit they don't have control of the platforms they created. But anyway, this has been great. I really appreciate you all from coming on. Uh, Carrie, Jeff and Mike, thank you so much for being on, on this. And we'll continue this discussion. We'll, we'll, we'll check back if there anything does happen. I don't think anything will happen, but we'll check back at that um, going forward because I think it's a really important discussion of how we uh, regulate these companies, how we, we legally deal with them, and how as a society we do. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Mike, I still love you even though you insult me all the time. <laughs> you can follow me. See, I brought you on. So you can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. My executive producer, Eric Anderson, is at Eric America. My producer, Eric Johnson, is at Hey Hey ESG. Carrie, where can people find you online? Uh, CAGoldbergLaw.com, and that's my Twitter handle as well. Great. Jeff, how about you? Uh, JeffKossif.com. All right. And Mike? Uh, I'm always at TechDirt.com and on Twitter at MMasnick. Okay. And again, Carrie's book is called Nobody's Victim Fighting Psychos, Stalkers, and Pervs and Trolls. And Jeff's book is called The 26 Words on Section 230, The 26 Words That Created the Internet. And Mike's site is called TechDirt. It's a terrific site, uh, and you should go look at it. If you like this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you shared it with a friend. And make sure to check out our other podcasts, Recode Media, Pivot, and Land of the Giants. Just search for them in your podcasting app of choice. Thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie. Thanks also to our editor, Brandon McFarland. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Monday. Tune in then. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com.